Hi, and welcome to The Big Shmir. I'm your host, Beth Schenker, and today I'm welcoming Rabbi Yisrael Finman, Operations Manager for Balkan Kosher, a nonprofit branch of Balkan Jewish Community's charitable organization dedicated to providing the infrastructure of Jewish life in the Balkan states and supporting local enterprise. Rabbi Finman, welcome to The Big Shmir. It's great to have a chance to talk with you and find out more about this company. And I will, I'll just mention a sort of a disclaimer, and that is um, my husband and I just took a trip to Greece for the first time, and we had a wonderful time, and now I have even more interest in Greek foods, so this was perfect timing for this for this conversation to take place. So I, I wonder if maybe you could just tell us a little bit more about this company, Balkan Kosher. Surely. Balkan Kosher was the idea in 2011-2012 of the Chabad rabbi who's in Salonika, Greece. Um, it was right after the economic collapse of Greece, as well as, simultaneously, the time when Erdogan turned very anti-Israel and made it very clear that he did not want Israeli tourists. So he came to me. At that point, I was married to his mother, second marriage. And my whole life as a rabbi, aside from being a pulpit rabbi in various places in my life, has been through outreach, uh, private tutoring, um, stuff of that nature, but always making money through working in the kosher food industry and the tourism industry. So I did a pilot trip in 2011, looked around, and I said, there's a lot of potential here. Let's make this happen. And that's how we got off the ground to starting with. Slow, slow growth, but working with companies that understood they had to export, and then working with travel agents in Israel and Greece, and even more so with the newly created Division of Tourism, Ministry of Tourism in the city government in Salonika, things just started to grow more and more and more. And inside of three years, four years, we garnered about 40% of certifications. Now we're working at about 70, 75% of kosher certifications throughout the Balkan countries. It's been remarkable watching the growth. Past 16, 18 months have just skyrocketed. All of a sudden, the Greeks understand they all want to go to America <laughs> and because it's a small enough country in Greece that everybody knows each other, especially in a specific line. So if you're in a food business, you know what's going on all over. And we have a stellar reputation of being able to work very well in explaining kosher procedures and kosher marketing and working our systems of kosher requirements into their systems of industrial production, not the other way around, getting them to change what they're doing. Right. So let me ask you a couple of things here. First of all, for those people not familiar enough with the geography that you're talking about, in addition to Greece, what are some of the other Balkan states that you deal with? Albania, which is my favorite, and that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> Montenegro. Uh, what we call Macedonia is now officially North Macedonia, Serbia, Croatia, and we haven't set foot into so Slovenia yet, but we will, and Bulgaria. That's our basic core, known as Southeast, A uh, Southeast Europe uh -huh. in the official map. But Greece uh, is the primary place. That's where it, most oh, of the is. action is. 
Well, it became most primary for us because that's where the Chabad Center is, and that's where we work out of. But also, most of the people involved with producing high-end, classy food for the export market is really in Greece. The other economies tend to deal with each other, or they're just going into the EU, which is a strong but not as strong as the U.S. or the Israeli markets. I see. And so I think I'm correct in saying that the place that you work out of in Greece is not Athens. It's a few hours, quite a few hours north of Athens, which is where most of the Jewish community lies in Greece. Is that correct? Once upon a time, yes. Salonika was, for about 300 years, the largest Jewish community in the world. That all ceased with World War II. Well, uh, backtrack a little. American Im- uh, immigration to America, New York, turn of the century, as well as a lot of Greeks leaving for America, for North Africa and elsewhere from persecution. So it changed. But from 1492 until late 1800s, uh, Salonika had 80,000 Jews in it. It was a a powerhouse of Judaism and unfortunately not known. The sheer number of rabbis that have came out of there, the Holodino culture, are things that still have to be discovered Um, because it's part of the Ottoman Empire, so it never got to play in Western civilization the way everything from the Adriatics to uh, the UK got. So where does the majority of the Jewish population live now in Greece? Okay, I can give you the numbers exactly. Athens has 2,000 Jews, has a Chabad house, it has a Romaniot synagogue, which is precedes the Sephardim who came. The Romaniots go back to the time of before the destruction of the Second Temple, back to the time when the Greeks were a world power. They have about 2,000 Jews there. Salonika is second, with about 1,000 registered members in the community, and maybe another 200 that are not registered. Then after that, you still have a few small communities that are holding on. Volos has about 200 and a synagogue. Larissa has about 100 and a very nice synagogue. Small town of Chalkidi, still holding on with about 35, keeping the synagogue open. And then down in Crete, you have, it's an ancient shul that's been refurbished and is now creating a very eclectic crowd coming and rebuilding communities. There's a number hmm. of French people moved in there in Chania. The synagogue is about three, 400 years old. It was renovated and opened about 20 years ago. Wow. And it's slowly taking on a nature of its own. That's all that's left of the massive numbers of communities. Before World War II, I would say 30% of the small islands had synagogues. And almost every city that had more than 100,000 people had a Jewish community. And much wow. of it was just wiped out and forgotten about. Yeah, and you don't, at least in terms of my perspective here, you don't really hear much about Jewish slash Greek stories. So I'm I'm happy to be able to bring some some information about this to my listeners. So this is really great. And in previous episodes, I've spoken to people about kosher certification, and I'm certainly not asking you for details at, at this point about it, but. I'm just wondering, was it, it sounds like it wasn't such a complicated kind of thing for people in the Balkan states in Greece to kind of move in that direction. They might have been producing a product or products that were not kosher certified, but now they are. And so was that process of getting people to move over to, in that direction, was it as complicated as it is, say, in the U.S. or, or not? <laughs> 
Um, really, it's the same everywhere, but it's because kosher certification relies upon two things to make a determination. One are the ingredients. Are they kosher, kosher compliant, currents, kosher certified? Right. And the procedure uh, worked out the logistics of manufacturing. That is to say, do you only process kosher food on your equipment or do you have kosher and non-kosher? And mm. those are the keys that it comes down to, and it's the same everywhere in the world. What was difficult with Greece was the whole concept of another certification in order to export to a market that doesn't seem that big because there's not that many Jews in the world. So it's you know, right. kind of like halal, halal certification. They understand there's 100 million Arabs and uh, Muslims in, in the EU, and then the Middle East is a strong trading partner and growing. So that they understand, halal certifications. But they do statistical search, and they realize outside of Israel, why is there a market there? And we've had to explain to them, especially the U.S., the bulk of people who eat kosher food on a regular basis are not Jewish in America. We only represent a very small percentage of it all. But still, you're doing according to procedures that are mandated by Jewish law in order to have a factory. So the more simple that a product is, the easier it is to certify. Sure. The more complex it is, more ingredients, more equipment, et cetera, et cetera, the more difficult it is to just maintain the systems. So here's a question. It sounds to me like sure. your company and your maybe even specifically your role, you're working with getting products out of Greece, made kosher certified, that will then be found in America, Israel, all places, uh, lots of other places. And then you're also if this is correct, are you bringing in things from other countries and bringing them into Greece as well? No. Greece is not much of an importer of foods. They've always been self-sufficient. Um, they were never exporters either until the economic crash. There wasn't much in the way of food exports. It was really the necessity of finding a new market as the econo economic distress caused a lack of economy uh, domestically that they had to look outside in order just to stay alive. But there's very little in the way of imports coming in, except odds and ends here and mm -hmm. there. It's predominantly, the focus was always, we're producing for ourselves, and now, by necessity, we have to do it. The bulk of things that may have been exported, or were exported, um, was bulk wine and bulk olive oil that went to Italy. It was mixed and repackaged and sold as Italian. Really? Oh, that's so interesting. Until about 10 years ago, roughly 60% of the olive oil production in Greece was put in ship tankers and sent to Italy. Whoa. Now, thank God, it's down to 30%. Ah. Wow, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> and, wow, the way the world works, right? Yeah, and the wine <laughs> the same doesn't. way. They would send, they would send uh, tanker loads of, of wine also. Um, or they would make balsamic vinegar in the wine factories and just ship it over to Italy to be labeled as Italian. So speaking of wine, so when I was in Greece, and not uh, we weren't there for that long, but we mm -hmm. had only Greek wines, and I had never thought about having Greek wine before. I don't, you don't really find it on the menus at restaurants, and it just wasn't on my radar screen at all. And now it's like right in the front of my radar screen because... We just had so many wonderful wines from different areas of Greece. And so I'm wondering, is that one of the products? Are there now kosher wines that are being exported out of Greece into the U.S. and other and Israel and other places? When we first started this, 
Part of my game plan was I want to take some of the finest parts of Greece and get them out into the world. So get more oil out there because it's exquisite. Mm -hmm. It beats the Italian oil. It really does. The only people, Tunisia has oil that's comparable like that, some places in Israel, but the Greek land and, and, and uh, ecology, everything is just blessed beyond belief. And even the Talmud says so. It's just exquisite. And I wanted to get the kosher consumer to understand this is inc incredible stuff. And then the wines, until about 10 years ago, they never made European variantals. You'd never find a Merlot or a Sauvignon or, or a Chablis made in Greece because it was foreign to them. And still today, thank God, about 80% of the production is domestic varietals that don't exist anywhere else. And even from island to island, from, from uh, vineyard to vineyard, you'll find varieties that don't exist anywhere else. Yeah, we actually discovered that because we did a couple of wine tours. And it's just, it's fascinating. It's just so different that I found that really interesting. I have wanted to make kosher feta, kosher wine, and kosher wine vinegar for the industry since day one. I've been pushing on it and pushing on it. We've just had to allow the market to grow. Right now, feta, we've done our third kosher feta production in the past three months. And we have an organization in, in New York that wants to do a Chal of Yisrael oh. feta production, which is not that easy because farms are small. Uh-huh, yeah. It's just, it's just the way it's laid out. But They're also, families. Uh, They're family farms. Exactly. But aside from that, sheep don't give that much milk as opposed to cows. Right. So you really, it's, it's difficult, but it's being done. Um, there was a small production run done for France uh, with a group from Israel, and they managed. And now um, Tanuva is working with Trader Joe to produce massive amounts of Chalav Yisrael feta, and that's successful. But it's a little costly. It's a little more difficult logistically because um, you need a rabbi in each and every farm while they do the milking. Right. And it gets to be crazy. But we're working that. We're, we're, it's going to happen. I think what happened was Kalamata olives, for some reason, just became off the chart incredible. And it really pushed the economy a lot. Um, certainly Which they appreciate, I'm sure, because it's so bad. Well, there's, there's something about the olive. I mean, there's a lot of other olives that are exquisite in Greece. My favorite is Thassos, Lion de Thassos, that only has those olives. And what kind of Because I also found an olive that I'd never tried before. They, I think they might even be called date olives that were amazing. There's so many different varieties. Each little location has different olives. And yeah. Each, and different farmers cure them in different ways. I like Thassos because you can have them when they're green, when they're blonde, or when they're black. Ah. And each one has a different flavor to it. I like the blondes because it's just like creamy and luxurious before they actually turn dark. Um, and it's a big, large, juicy olive. Kalamanos are nice. It's not my favorite, but it's certainly everybody's favorite. Bulky yep. kosher companies that are certified kosher, just for the kosher market, shipped over 350 tons. Oh, my God. Of olives to America last year. Just America. Oh, my God. That's a lot of olives. Just, that's a lot of <laughs> olives. And that's just kosher certified. So it really has taken the world by in, in, incredible yeah. demand for the product. And right now, from the American standpoint, feta cheese is going to be the next Kalamato, and especially in the kosher world. We see it just blowing away. 
Mm. And hopefully that will lead to other cheeses because the Greeks have world-class cheeses that nobody ever heard of. I know. And And every island has different... Again, like the olives, they, the, the cheeses taste mm-hmm. different. The kind of cheese that's produced there is different. It's amazing. It is amazing. I know in the American market, kosher market, well, first, in the non-kosher market, there's not much Greek wine outside of the Greek community because, once again, Greece was not exporting foods. Like many countries, you'll find it in the ethnic markets, and it just hasn't hit mainstream. That's the way it is. Go, I know. Go it, to Astoria, Queens, and you got... Everything you want from Santorini and Athens put together. Go to the next neighborhood, and there's nothing there. Because yeah. it's all within the, in the ethnic communities. And we've talked with all those distributors and importers about getting into the supermarkets, getting into the kosher market, and just, they don't understand it. They're just not interested because they're doing quite well in the Greek market. With the kosher industry, I've talked with a number of retailers as well as importers, all those varientals of Greek wines would never make it because they're strange. They don't know what they are. The kosher consumer likes to do what they've always done. Oh, right, right. So what we're working now with our first winery, we talked this problem over to him. So he happens to do a Cabernet, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon amongst all those other varietals. So he wants to take this Cabernet, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon Rosé and do that as the introduction to the kosher market. And it looks like a gorgeous wine, beautiful bottle, beautiful glow and color. And I've talked with people about it and said, yeah, that's a good way to enter into the market. Mm-hmm. First, get Greece to be noticed for its wines that are variantals that, uh, that are, are known and accepted. And then sneak in a little. But they're also going to have to do cross-marketing to get those wines into the liquor stores that are around Absolutely. neighborhoods. Yeah. That get them into the Greek section, get into the kosher section, both. Yeah. And we'll be working with trying to find kosher and non-kosher uh, importers and distributors who can buy into our concepts of what it is because I don't have to tell you. I mean, you can tell me just as well and tell all your listeners. When Greek wine gets feet and starts growing, it's going to be phenomenal. People are going to say, how come I didn't know about this? Right. That's exactly what I was saying when I was there. It's like, how did I not know that there's great wines in Santorini and that come out of Athens? It's like just not on your radar screen and it's not on the menus either, you know, when you go to restaurants. And But anyway, it's a slow process. It sounds like it's there's movement in that direction, which is really fantastic. And now people know to start asking for those and looking for those in your, you know, neighborhood liquor store and ask them to Supply some of those so you can try those. Here's a food question for you. So all kinds of opportunities for Jewish-Greek kinds of food to kind of come out of this geographic area. And the food in Greece is spectacular. Uh, Are there any specific Jewish-Greek foods that are being exported aside from general things like feta cheese and olives and all of that are there any other kinds of greek food that people could be looking for in the kosher those who eat kosher food and look for kosher food at this point not because uh, well a lot of your traditional greek jewish foods are greek foods Right. Just like, you know, corned beef and stuffed cabbage. It was not invented by the Jews. Right. <laughs> and you know, and it's, it's certainly not, a, you know, a, um, Sephardic kind of food either. So. <laughs> right. But what, you, what you, 
you have these foods that are that are delectable, but you're gonna have to go to Greece <laughs> and, and go to the kosher restaurant in Athens or to the kosher restaurant in Salonika and get a taste for them. That's all I can say. Well, that's fair. Can you tell me where people will find products that are Balkan kosher products in the U.S.? Where can they find those kinds of products that, that we've been talking about? Sure. First, just let me say that um, when we send olives to America, it's usually in bulk containers of 220 kilograms that are sent to companies that all they do is repack olives. Probably American, the average American doesn't realize there's a big business in just repacking barrels of olives into retail uh, sizes. And I would say easily 80% of kosher certified Kalamata olives, for sure, are coming from Balkan kosher. But we don't have the uh, Balkan kosher logo on the packages because they're private companies that ah. have their own local rabbis. But if you're eating a Kalamata olive in America, certified kosher, eight out of ten times, that came from one of our 12 factories that we certify just for olives. Wow. But as far as getting our logo on the package and seeing it elsewhere, right now the biggest thing that's happening is in Whole Foods and in supermarkets with vegan cheese. There's three companies in Greece that manufacture vegan cheese. One does not export. The other two do. Balkan Kosher certifies the other two. One is working as a private label, kind of. They basically have a, uh, a sister organization in America called Good Planet, who have been distributing in the non-kosher market for quite some time through Walmart and other places. They are now busily putting their efforts into working with Whole Foods and getting the Whole Foods label, 365, with their select amount and numbers of varieties of vegan cheese with the Balkan kosher BK symbol on it. Simultaneously, there's the Violife Corporation, which is, at this point, probably the largest vegan cheese maker in the world and growing by leaps and bounds phenomenally. They're in such demand, and it's theirs is... I can't say the best in the world, best of anything else, because you know I'm not putting one client against another. But the amount of R&D that they put into their product, they keep pounding away, pounding away, pounding away to make it better, better, better. So that they came up, took them five years to get a mozzarella-type cheese that's shredded and melts just like mozzarella on a cheese, on a pizza. Hmm. Wow, that's Pe- great. Pizza shred, and it has the mouthfeel for it, the taste, the flavors, and everything. They have a cheddar that melts and makes you a beautiful mac and cheese. You wouldn't know. It wasn't dairy. Huh. Wow. And they are all over. They are in, uh, well, I can't tell you which supermarkets. No, of course confidential. not. Of course not. And they told me, please don't mention where we are, just we are. But they are taking over the supermarket shelves like crazy. One franchise, uh, uh, one group is another uh, all over the country. And they also, they are massively in Whole Foods and specialty shops, and you're going to find the Violife brand within two years, coast to coast, everywhere, because it's just an incredible, incredible product. Aside from that, actually 365 carries their own brand of halava, which is made by one of our companies. There's a company called Wellbees. Uh-huh. It's a gluten-free Hasidic company, and they're doing a production run of organic bio halava made just from sesame and honey. Oh, interesting. In the gluten-free world as well as in the Hasidic uh, certification company uh, world. I know we have, oh, Trader Joe. Yeah, we're very proud of Trader Joe. 
they're working with one of our companies that makes um, confectionaries, you know, like, like um, uh, wafers with cream inside mm-hmm. of it or little little things with cream inside of it and cigars with cream inside of it and things of this nature. Three products will be in Trader Joe's, and I can't say coast to coast because I'm not privy to that information, and Trader Joe does work regionally in a lot of ways with their products. But three of them are already under production and should be within the next two months in some stores. And they've already signed contract to create another six different products um, under the Trader Joe label made by this company. That's pretty exciting. uh, For me, it's it's certainly just watching the growth explode. This is something we pounded pavement and worked and worked and developed and developed. And just it's like, wow, the trees are finally growing beautiful peaches. It is remarkable. And I would say that once we have the wine vinegar kosher down pat, we're working with two different companies, and I think it's going to happen this year because there's enough of a market for it and locally in Greece that want to buy large amounts of kosher vinegar and replace the non-kosher vinegar so they can enter into the kosher market around the world, both Israel and the U.S., that not that far down the line, you're going to see a lot of products, whether it's salads or condiments and certainly olives that have vinegar in them. There's a lot of olive companies that are very high-end, very gourmet, very delicious, and salads and other things that would never think of using a wine vinegar substitute, such as acidic acid or citric acid, Mm -hmm. which are primary forms of acid to preserve and stabilize the product, they're just purists, but they want a piece of this market too. And the gourmet markets are aware of that. So I think that over the winter time, we'll finally do our first production run. We have to make kosher wine first, strictly for turning it into wine vinegar. Mm -hmm. Once that happens, we've already got orders not us, but we've already talked to our companies and other companies that have a wine vinegar problem. And I would say somewhere between three and 400 tons is already waiting to be made and put into production system. And then you'll have all kinds of foods that are just natural and have an exquisite taste to them because of the wine vinegar that's there. Makes total sense. And uh, I'm looking forward to it already. Right. We have a company we just picked up called Gaia. They'll be at Fancy Food Show. They're sponsoring our booth. They're a very high-end group of just small retail packages of olive oil, of olive packets to nosh on, olives in small cans, olive oil. They do a feta and yogurt spread that looks incredible, which just happens to be made by one of the feta companies that we're working with to make kosher feta. And numerous other things, and you'll see them right now. The, we just signed contract with them, but within a few months, the BK logo will be on their products. And you can find them in all kinds of supermarkets, uh, specialty shops, mm-hmm. and they're very aggressive, and they'll be all over the place too. G-A-E-A, very high-end, very quality products. So you mentioned just in passing that you're going to be at this fancy food show, which is happening it's happening it's very week, soon. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday at the Javits Center. It is, as far as I know, the largest food show in America. 3,000 companies from around the world. Wow. It's an international food show. It's predominantly not kosher. It's not emphasis on kosher. Oh, it isn't. Oh, the that's. Emphasis, oh, I didn't know no, that. Th- no, this is not a kosher show. This ah. is a food expo that attracts people from all over the world. 
And you'll see that when the, there's enough governments that sponsor it, like we'll be in the Greek pavilion along with 57 other companies. Oh, that are, oh that's great. That in an area called the Greeks. And then you've got the Spanish, you've got uh, the Swedish, you've got uh, the Italians, the Chinese, the Japanese. They all have areas where you can go to those that section in the Javits Center and you're going to get all of that cuisine. And then most of it's still American, way beyond that. Oh, it else, is. But even though uh. you'll, you'll get you'll get the, the cheesemakers in one area, you'll get some specialty foods in another area. So it's just kind of easier to go to where you want to be instead of just going down and getting a hodgepodge. Right, easier to navigate your way around. Exactly. It's it's nuts the way it is. Yeah. It's very tiring. <laughs> just to be there is so tiring. Because it's all this, uh, it, there's all this amazing high energy stuff going on, and lots of, lots of business deals, lots of serious business going on at the, all during this. Oh, oh, totally, totally. So we're there for one reason specifically, because we're a certification agency. We're not offering a food product. Oh. But what's happening is we saw that there was a strong growth of exports to America. And America is the only country that Balkan Kosher does not have brand name recognition. And so we asked, how do we go about that? Because kosher certification is a, it's a political business as well as a religious business, very much so. And it's a very difficult market to work with. And we have, I'm glad it's the last frontier for us because we're able to work with rabbis and kosher certification agencies all over the world. Mm -hmm. We have a good rapport with Australia, Israel, our products are all over the place. In Russia, we have a dual logo with the chief rabbi of Russia. Over the EU, South Africa, South America has never bothered anybody. Nobody ever asked, and we have a saturation there with certain products. The South African rabbinate in Cape Town has approved our products, and the rest of the South Africa takes that in, Johannesburg as well. And we've realized that it's different in America. It's always ask your local rabbi, and if the local rabbi doesn't know, they'll say, I don't know. And we couldn't do that to our customers. So we figured that to, let's say to preempt what was going to inevitably happen, numerous phone calls to rabbis and this and that, and just, uh, we couldn't allow the bottom line to be, I don't know. Right. Which means That's not helpful. don't buy it. Yeah. No, no, no. We, we work, we have, one of the things we've done is work with our clients from day one to get to understand the nuances of the various kosher markets around the world so they can approach them with some intelligence about how to do. And to sell kosher food to Paris is different than selling it to Tel Aviv, which is different than selling it to Moscow, and certainly different than selling it to America. And since I'm an American, I've worked in kosher foods 30 years of my life, so I figure I, I know the terrain a little bit better than most and so I figured that the best thing to do is to preempt it and get a booth at a fancy food show, which wasn't easy because we're consultants and we're told, well, you don't handle food products. You can't have a booth. So we thought, okay, how are we going to do this? <laughs> so we approached the Greek government and said, listen, give us a booth. Oh, not give us a booth. It costs Right, right. <laughs> I assure you. No, nobody gives you nothing. Right. It's, uh, it all costs. Right. But this way, because we came in now, as part of Greek Enterprise Greece, which is a government organization that helps companies export around the world. And so at the food show, Enterprise Greece has mostly newcomers to the fancy food show, and they've got about 30 or 40 companies. 
and some repeats as well. And then there's about another 20 Greek companies that do shows on their own. They don't need anybody's help. They come year after year after year. Yeah. And that's actually how we, we found them, was coming through food shows and talking to them and saying, hey, we're in Greece. You're in Greece. Let's talk business, which is why we have this year we have, uh, God, I don't know, it's about 57 or 60 companies from Greece. 10 or 12 of them are kosher certified by us. Wow. Two or three have kosher certifications by other American agencies, and that's the whole breakdown on it. So I figured we had to be proactive, and it's absolutely the right time because some of these products, especially the vegan cheeses, are exploding. We are getting phone calls and emails every single day. Tell us about this product. Who says it's good? Yada, 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 mm-hmm. yada, yada. And rather than doing damage control down the, the road, I figured, no, let's be preemptive and get our name out there and who we, we work with throughout the world. And we're also just beginning now to work with one of the major kosher organizations here in America, but we're still in the infancy of putting together the first dual logo uh, brand. So I'm not going to say who that is. But, but we'll find it soon. Known. We'll see it soon, hopefully. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Be- and, and being acknowledged by a major organization like that will help us not have to explain who we are, what we are. It will give us the branding and the uh, acceptability that is very difficult to come by. I mean, so much so that even major Israeli brands, that nobody would question who the rabbis are, no, no, no whatsoever. If they want to market in America, they get one of the major certification agencies. Sure. And it's the same way. All you products that import into Israel outside of the American population that's there, the Israelis wouldn't trust it. Oh, you, what's the oh, you? America, who cares about America? <laughs> uh, it's a trifle Medina, like it always was, you know? So they have to get an Israeli certification on top of it. So these are just the, the way kosher is, the way the kosher mindset, the kosher politics, and I hope nobody gets any feedback, negative feedback, and com- comes at me about that. But this is the reality It's of complicated. It it's a complicated business. It's, it's very complicated, and kosher certifications, even if they're international organizations and have factories and clients all over the world, are still regional in their market uh, marketability. Plain and simple. Wow. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about this. I find it really fascinating, and I my hope is that people who are listening will know, if you keep kosher or are interested in buying kosher products, that there's more and more being done every day, which is great. And for those of you who don't care if it's kosher or not, still look for these products and um, and start looking for that Greek wine because it's really good. Uh, <laughs> um, so thank you so much. Good luck at the food show. And I appreciate all this. Thank you. Uh, my pleasure. Let me just add a plug uh, for anybody who would like to stay in touch with us. Our website, which is getting upgraded as we speak, Balkan Kosher. B-A-L-K-A-N-K-O-S-H-E-R dot com and has a lot of information about it and we will have it upgraded to the point where each of our clients get a click on, you can get to the websites, there's a kosher certificate and you can always contact us and say, where can I get this, where can I get that? Uh, I'd like to see this kosher product. Do you think we can make this happen? Because the feedback, the whole world is controlled by those who buy products. And we want to know what people want so that we can approach other companies and say, there's a market for this. This is how we develop it. 
So thank you for sharing that. And I will also have that kind of information on my website as well for people who want to find out more about Balkan kosher. So thank you again and uh, look forward to talking to you again sometime in the future. My absolute pleasure and be well and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Big Schmear. Our recording engineer and editor is Steve Robinson. The Big Schmear theme music is performed by Cavatino Duo from their CD entitled Sephardic Journey on the CD record label. If you like The Big Schmear, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. If you have questions or comments, I'd love to hear from you. Please send your email to beth at thebigschmear.com. And be sure to check out my website, thebigschmear.com, to find recipes shared by my guests. I'm Beth Schenker, the host of The Big Schmear. Thank you for listening, and happy eating. <laughs>